Three questions before I fire you up with another great interview. First, if you need a video for your site to help increase conversions and make more sales, who do you turn to? Revolution Productions. Their videos make it easy for customers to understand your product. And even though they're inexpensive, Revolution Productions uses animation techniques and high quality video production values to tell a compelling story. And Revolution Productions is trusted by SendGrid, SnapEngage, Freelancer, and others. Go to revolution-productions.com. Next, did you know that adding a phone number from grasshopper.com to your site can increase your sales? Well, Less Accounting found that sales grew when they added a Grasshopper phone number to their site. Seeing a phone number for help makes people feel safe. Flower AB tested having a phone number on their site from Grasshopper and not having one from Grasshopper. Look at how much impact it had. Try it on your site. Go to grasshopper.com. Finally, will you trust me if I tell you that the lawyer that entrepreneurs should use is Scott Edward Walker of Walker Corporate Law? Well, what if Jason Calacanis, Neil Patel, and these founders tell you that they recommend Scott Edward Walker of Walker Corporate Law? Well, you don't have to take our word for it. If you're a startup founder who's looking for a lawyer, put a call in to Walker Corporate Law and talk to them. You'll know for yourself. WalkerCorporateLaw.com. All right, let's get started. Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I am the founder of Mixergy.com, home of the ambitious upstart, the place where over 700 proven entrepreneurs, admired entrepreneurs, have come here to tell you their stories so that you can learn from them, be inspired by them, and hopefully, not hopefully, and go out there, build your own success story, and the hopefully comes in at this place. Hopefully, you'll come back here and do an interview with me after you do so that you can teach others what you've learned as you build your business. And in this interview, I want to find out how does a high school senior from the inner city turn 70 bucks into a multi-million dollar music instruction website? Jermaine Griggs is the man you see on your screen. He is the founder of hearandplay.com, which trains musicians to play by ear, trains them to play by ear with online music lessons and, and piano video tutorials. Jermaine, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. A pleasure to be here. It's an inspiring story, and people are going to watch is in this interview step-by-step step as you built this up, but I want them to know a little bit about you, starting with where you came from. Can you tell them about that story where, about the sneakers that you wanted your mom to buy for you? Well, absolutely. I grew up in the inner city of Long Beach, so I won't say it was a war zone, but I won't say we had green manicured grass either. And, uh, you know, we didn't have the luxuries that my other friends had. And one story that comes to mind was when I wanted these new Nike shoes by a football player named Rod Woodson. All my friends had it. We went to Target and we found a ripoff. I didn't know it was a ripoff. That looked just like those shoes. They were by Zoic. Some people don't know what I'm talking about. And I remember I put those shoes on. I was so proud because I had the Rod Woodson's, so to speak. And the next day I went to school and I got... I got the experience of a lifetime. All my friends, they laughed, they poked fun at me. I, I don't know if I ran to the corner and cried, but I felt like crying. And that was a turning point for me. Um, there were many things like that, but that's something that 15 years later, I still remember like it was brand new. And, and it got me fueled about changing things. I see that because of that, you said, I don't want to have to be laughed at. I want the things that I want, including what really today looking back is a pretty small thing. Absolutely. There are sneakers that you love. 
Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And you've come a long way. We're going to hear the whole story here. But as a sneak peek, can you tell people about the honeymoon that you took your, your wife on? Absolutely. So when you juxtapose that story of being in, in so much want and so naive as a 12-year-old to, you know, I don't know, 13, 14 years later, now being on the honeymoon of our dreams, you know, on that small boat coming up to a private island in Fiji where only 15 couples are invited. And I remember my wife, who's my high school sweetheart, looking at me and saying, this is the life. And that was another moment on the other side of the tracks now with blue glistening water and fishes and coral. I don't even know how to swim. And they're talking snorkeling. <laughs> And so when you just compare that that beginning to, and I won't say this is the end. My grandma said, we're not where we want to be, but we got to be thankful we're not what we used to be. That story, you know, is what keeps me fueling and, uh, and going for the prize. And the two of you were 22 years old, and financially the business at that year hit a milestone. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? Absolutely. That was the year that we hit seven figures. And uh you know, incredible having started with $70 and having taken no capital or not even knowing that those avenues existed. Venture capital, you told me that back then, what is that? You know, <laughs> if I didn't make money, I didn't survive, you know? So having to take that 70 and turn it into something and turn it into something else and, and being there just a few years later, you know, having a external, you know, reward for that hard work is just mind boggling. Wow. Congratulations. I want to hear how you did it. And this is the kind of story that we don't hear much in the tech world. I mean, you and I talked before the interview started. I said, what's a win for you in this interview? And you said, Andrew, your audience, you know, maybe I might get some people who end up uh, signing up for Music by Ear lessons here. But basically, it's an audience of entrepreneurs. I'm here to help them, but I don't have a, an ulterior motive in this. Um, we even had to set up your Skype together because you said you're so Web 1.0 that you don't even like Skype. You use other, you use, uh, what was it, MSN. I use MSN. I'm your guy, like, up until, like, two years ago, still using front page. <laughs> All that stuff that got me started when I was 17, I'm loyal to it, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So Facebook, Twitter, yeah, I'm there, but, you know, I don't count. I saw Jeremy Weiss, our producer, actually sent me uh, links to the Wayback, the in, to the Internet Wayback Machine to show you to show me what your site looked like. I could see the front page influence on it. Today, can you say what you told Jeremy Weiss, our producer, what your revenues were? Is, is that public, or was that something you, the two of you talked about in private? Um, it, it's it's private, but I don't mind sharing it. So since inception, we've well hit the eight figure mark per year. That looks like about three three and a half million dollars this year. We'll do. We get about uh, 15,000 subscribers a month. Now, our total list is about 300,000 musicians that play by ear. And out of that revenue, 10,000 paying subscribers is like our lifeblood, is our base uh, in our various training centers. And, uh, and, and we look to keep going. What are, when someone pays 10, when, I mean, excuse me, when the 10,000 people are paying you a subscription fee, what are they getting access to? Well, we have three different programs. Uh, one of them is our CD of the month program, so an old school like in the mail, like ship CD in the in the mail, and so you get that. That's for nineteen dollars a month. Um, our gospel music training center is another uh, aspect of our continuity, and that's a training center where you log in weekly and get piano lessons uh, in the Christian market. And we also have a jazz intensive training center where you log in and get the same. Uh, uh, in the jazz arena, and those range from thirty to forty dollars a month as well. All right. Okay, so let's go back in time and find out how you built up this business, starting with the the seventh grade. 
Absolutely. What happened in the seventh grade and why is that important for this for the story? I didn't tell Jeremy this, but to be honest, it started before then. Like when I was seven, I was your your kid knocking on doors and selling greeting cards. And my grandma won this piano off the price is right. And it would later become a very key part of my success. But in the seventh grade, I remember, you know, just being uh you know, so into what I wanted to be into. And I, I remember I brought home a report card with four or five Fs, like out of six or seven, um, you know, grades. And I remember being sat down by every family member I had and saying, you need to make a change. I know you're this kid that likes to sell stuff and you, you're passionate about what you're passionate about, but you got to get this, this schoolwork and you got to get focused because there's only, you know, a few options for you at this rate. And, uh, and they weren't having it. And so that's when I really saddled down and, and started to not only, you know, be this unfocused kid into all these things. I, I remember selling Avon. I remember selling. And I signed up. The lady knocks on our door. I want to talk to your mom. I said, no, you're here to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> mom signed up in my downline. Grandma on her downline. Grandpa. I mean, I had all this stuff going on. And, and at this point, uh, this was a turning point because this happened now and said, you need to get your grades together. And, uh, and that's what I did. You know, Jermaine, I'm wondering why business, why selling Avon, which really for a kid, you're going to get laughed at when you're becoming the Avon lady as a, as a kid. Why did that grab you as opposed to, say, taking up writing fiction, which will transport you to a new place versus yeah. taking up, I don't know, I don't know what else. It could be painting. Why business? Well, for me, selling it was something about selling. Like when I was seven, me and my next door neighbor in the projects, I later would learn that's what you call them because I didn't know I was living in the projects. But uh, we would tie rope to our bikes with a wagon and charge kids 25 cents to get from one part of the complex as a big complex to the other. I mean, I just love to sell. I remember Olympia Sales Club in the back of National Geographic. It was like a kid's selling organization. They give you $2 an item. I signed up for that and went to work, knocking on doors. Avon would come at about 12 years old, answering an ad in the penny saver, you know? And it said, I don't think it said Avon, but I think it said something like make $10,000 a month selling. And, you know, I had no, you know, reservations about selling. So I called the number and uh, I was one of the most popular reps in my local community because I was like <laughs> a wonder kid, right? <laughs> And nope. it was fun. So to answer your question, it it wouldn't go into high school because you're right. I did start getting teased by the brothers. You know, <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to sell my mom some perfume? Or you better get out of here. So you know, obviously, here and play was the natural next step. But uh, you know, I can't take back those moments because those made me what I am today. I'm not scared to sell. You know, maybe that's why I'm stuck in 1.0 because a lot of 2.0. There's this. I don't know, this reservation about just selling. I'm your, I can sell. And, 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 and that's a big part of my success. And it started, what, 20 years ago. I loved selling even as a kid. I'd read business books about selling. I would fantasize about selling. It was, right. it was a passion of mine too. And I thought I was the only one who, who was into it. Boy, I would have loved to have known you back then. Um, right. to, to recognize, first of all, that I'm not crazy. And second, to also have someone to bounce ideas off of. And if right. you were. And you were to share with me what you learned back then about selling. What were some of those early lessons that you picked up about sales? Well, something that is with me till today is that the sale doesn't start until they say no. So many people are scared of re rejection. And as soon as they get the word no, 
you know, they turn around and, and walk away and weep and wallow. And for me, no was a great word because, you know, and I would later learn through Brian Tracy and a lot of the, the bigger sales professionals that it takes seven exposures for somebody to consider your offer and, you know, how many times you really got to follow up with folks. But back then, I understood that if they said no, that was just their way of telling me that I didn't do my job. You know, because I know they need greeting cards, you know, and I know <laughs> I got the best greeting cards. I mean, I know they're not Scrooges and in their own world, not, you know, celebrating the holidays with family and friends. You need my cards. And I got cards. And I <laughs> you know, so what's, what's the craziest thing? Well, got to watch my banging on the table. What's the craziest thing you sold as a kid? Well, um, Avon tops the list for sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because in that was like perfume and all kinds of stuff. Um, but um, I don't know. That, that's a hard question. There's, there's just so many things that I sold. Oh, okay. Here's the one. In the early days of the internet, now, this was when I was like 10, there's those letters and you have to put your name on the list and send it to like 5,000. So I got my, my grandpa to give me like, a thousand bucks. I told him we're going to be rich. Just send this letter and put our name on the list and everybody's going to be sending us a dollar. So I'm embarrassed by that one. That's like the beginning days. Did he let you do it? He let me do it. I, I think I still owe that man to this day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we got like one dollar back and it, it was definitely a loss. But that's probably like the craziest. I was just naive, you know. You got skeptical people that miss their opportunities because they're not open enough to, to try and then there's people like me, a little gullible, but we try things and then one thing works and here we are. So, you know, this is me. Jermaine, I already love you. We've only been talking for like 20 minutes, 15 minutes here, and this is incredible. I feel so much of your story feels like like it was my story and I forgot about some of these crazy things that I did or would fantasize about. It was It was fun. Those are the fun parts of childhood for me. The rest really stunk, and that's why I wanted to do really good, really well at sales, so that I could get out of the rest of it. What was it that stunk for you beyond not being able to buy sneakers? Well, you know, I've always been a little different. So here I am in the inner city, and uh, you know, the imagery that we see on TV, a lot of that is not far fetched from where I grew up. And but we had a very church loving family that sheltered me and my sister. So here I am in the inner city, but I'm like church boy. So I, I didn't get along with, with my neighbors there. You know, I felt a little different. Barbershops didn't feel right to me. And then, you know, on the other side of the tracks, I can't relate to my friends with the white picketed fence, you know, in the suburbs. Uh, just so happened I was in a magnet program. So a lot of the kids from the suburbs came to the inner city because our school was just that good. So when I go over there, I felt like I didn't fit in the suburbs. I don't... You know, I'm so sheltered here, I don't fit in. So for me, it was this, you know, I'm not surprised that I had a, I have a contrarian view because I've always had to go against the grain and I've always had to do the opposite. And I always, when the kids were partying in, in college, I was working on my first book, 300 pages, The Secrets of Playing Piano by Ear. Now who's partying now, you know? That was <laughs> so, in college. That was in college. So Let's take a step back for a moment and talk about this girl that you met back when you were a teenager. How did you meet her? Well, I actually achieved my ability to play by ear because after, you know, I got all those bad grades, I really got myself together, started getting involved in school. And uh, I started this choir, uh, this high school uh, gospel choir my freshman year or so. 
And these three girls walk in, and one of them has this long, beautiful Pocahontas hair. And my mom says, I've always been attracted to those those kind of girls. And uh, because I wasn't reading sheet music, I had the opportunity to be looking up, and I kept staring at her. Because when you play by ear, you don't have to. You're just listening and playing. It's the best thing in the world. And uh, our eyes met, and, you know, we started talking. And long story short, that was 1998, 1999, 99 to be exact. And here we are, uh, 12, 12, 13 years later, married with three kids under six. And I've never had any other girlfriend. I was like my first, like, true, real girlfriend wow, at 15. Wow. And yeah, and she's the same one that we had that realization. Like, wow, we kind of made it. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been great to share that journey together. Was she inspired by by these little businesses that you started, what was her reaction to them when you said, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to write a book and sell it about how to um, how to play piano by ear or when you said something else? What was her reaction to all that? You know, surprisingly, she was very supportive because when, when you when you're that innovative at that age and, you know, family already had it set up for what I was supposed to do. Right. I was supposed to be like the next Johnny Cochran. I had a knack for speaking, and I, I went to school undergraduate for law and criminology, and this was the path everybody laid out for me. But here we were working on these books on how to play piano, and she was in the copy shops with me. Our dates consisted of going to copy shops, copying these 300-page books, binding them, going to the post office, waiting in line with our little carts. I mean, those are the glory days. And then going to Mickey D's afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and she she doesn't cease to remind me of those days, you know, when, when when I get a little, you know, you know, on her nerves. She'll remind me of those days. And uh, but she was very supportive and very inspired. And um, she said, my ambition, you know, even though I was like that little nerdy boy that didn't fit in. She said, my ambition made me look very good to her. <laughs> so, you know, ambition goes a long way. And you know what, though? Most people wouldn't have related to that. I remember even sitting around thinking, Where, what are all these people going to do after school, like after they're done with their school day? And some yeah. of them would go sneak off. I, I went to school in Brooklyn. They'd sneak off to um, uh, Sheep's Meadow in Central Park. Yeah. i go, to do what? To just sit around Sheep's Meadow and do what? What the hell's the point? Why don't you go and start selling something on the street or just go and talk about this book on sales that you read or I don't know, or try a mail order or something or even – do one of the chain letters. Do something. But just sitting around would drive me freaking nuts. And it's really hard in that environment to find someone who relates to this because most people would go, dude, you're weird. How about have a drink, which is the exact opposite of what I wanted. Right. I, I felt that way, dude, and I feel that way now. I don't know how old you are, Andrew. I think we're about the same age. And it, it's that way now. You know, my buddies from old still haven't figured it out. You know, and, uh, you know, so – you know, we're, we're always dealing with that. And, uh, you know, people people want to party now and, I guess, figure out things later. But I learned at an early age, I want to figure it out now. And if I have to party later, that's okay because um, I'm going to be partying big. I'm gonna be partying. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be working. So <laughs> it's just flipping the, the model of what we've been sold. And, it has uh, happened. And you know what, frankly, those parties back in high school, most of them were a big disappointment. Even the people who are the coolest kids in the class – big disappointment you're always waiting for something to happen same thing i believe even today to this day most people who go out they're going out like with the lottery ticket in mind if the lottery ticket pays off then they're going to have a good night not a great night but a good night 
Chances are, though, the lottery will not pay off. They're just going to, you know, have another night that's not going to be memorable. I don't want to live my life like that. I want want something bigger. All right. I'm now making this interview about me instead of you because I'm so excited to to hear your story. It's good. It's good. When I I know when we planned it, I... I knew we would get off the script because, you know, we're, we're, we're very natural together and, and your story is, is a bit the same as mine's and, you know, I'm enjoying this. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, this, this interview means a whole lot to me all of a sudden. Um, what, what was next? So now you had this idea, you knew that you could play. How do you get started with that? Well... I kind of got pulled into it. Uh, parents were asking me to teach their kids. So you got to imagine this little boy in churches playing the piano and like holding it down with like expertise and, and, and professionalism. So people would always come up to me and who taught you how to play? How do you do that? And I, you know, I taught myself, you know, my grandma's piano. I didn't tell them she wanted them prices right, but she did. So Bob, Barker, <laughs> Bob Barker has a lot to do with this too. So, you know, and uh, and so I started teaching kids. And back then, I didn't know what leverage meant the way I know now. But I knew that if I documented what I was teaching these people, because I was teaching the same thing, like how I learned how to play scales and chords and stuff. And so I started putting them in, in books, like these little pamphlets that I made naturally so that I'd have to do all this work over and over. You know, you, you already know the type of person I am. I, I'm just, I got to be moving and doing stuff. So doing the same thing, you know, quickly you know, I got disinterested in that. But those books didn't go on to be the basis of my, my primary product of Hear and Play, just and two years later. That's an early taste of the kind of automation that you ended up employing later on, which we'll get to later in the in the interview. Um, you you love books. I'm looking over your shoulders. Many people who are watching us are, and we're seeing just a, a big collection of books. From the beginning, one of your challenges was, well, did you go to business school to to learn how to build a business? No, no, no. Ironically, while this was happening, I was studying law, like Wade versus Roe and stuff like that. <laughs> you know? And you and you were learning business on your own, including Corey Rudel. Yeah. I, I wonder if people even still know him the way that that we did in the beginning. I, and I and frankly, I didn't even know. I didn't. I don't even think I took his course. I met him at a conference once a few years ago. But who's Corey, and what influence did he have on you? Well, first of all, Corey's not with us anymore. He passed away in uh, 2005. In a terrible accident. Terrible race accident. But uh, prior to that, he was like, to me, the king of web 1.0 internet marketing. I mean, he combined mail order and direct response with the internet. And uh, many people might be familiar with Dan Kennedy. He was like the internet version of like, Dan Kennedy, direct mail. And uh, and he had a site called internetmarketing.com. It's still in existence today, um, but internetmarketing.com. I stumbled into that, searching for how to grow my business, how to advertise, how to market. This was in college. Because we were only selling at that point like 10 books a month. And I came across his website, and I remember this long page. It was what we call a sales letter. Regardless of what you think about sales letters now, this is what I stumbled across. And I read that thing like 20 times. Whatever he wrote in there, the magic he had in that print, that selling, made me feel so good. I had to keep reading. I took out my debit card, probably only had $200 on it, and bought his $200 course and started really studying how to sell in print, how to copyright, how to, you know, captures people, uh, capture people's attention in, in 10 seconds or less because that's all you got. 
attention, interest, desire, action, all these concepts that prior to that, I was just swimming around, businessman, you know, natural functions and, and that kind of stuff. But now this was the first time I actually sat down and started studying this and, and seeing the process of selling and how to, how to do it effectively online. So it was a big turning point for me. Yeah, I feel like people like you are just deliberate about the way that they build their businesses, about where someone else might see that and say it's 200 bucks for some guy who's got this long ass sales letter. I don't care. I'm just going to move on to something more fun. You just yeah. wanted to learn and just pick up on it. Who else did you learn from? Well, back then it was Corey Rudel. Um, I remember uh, Think and Grow Rich. Um, I remember stumbling upon that. And it wasn't from selling, but that just really gave me the motivation to hold on to my dream. And he talked about burning desire. And I didn't have to read that in that book because evidently I already had that. I had this burning desire where I don't know, but even to this day, I think about my business all the time. Sometimes I have to turn my brain off. It's not, I find a lot of people, they read my story or find out about me here or there or my buddies and, and they want to start something, but they don't really feel it or live it. Like they read the book because I tell them to read the book, but they don't really want to read the book. But for me, marketing is fun. Everything I read, I enjoy. It's not what I have to do. It's what I live, and I think that makes the difference, that passion. So back then, to be honest, it was Corey, and uh, it was uh, Napoleon Hill to get me started on this path. And then obviously since then, I have a number of, of books that I absolutely love and, and reread as much as I can. I had the Nightingale. I love the book by Napoleon Hill, but I also had the Nightingale Conan collection of his speeches. And right. in one of them, he said, a burning desire. He had this old, <laughs> this old time voice. And I clipped right. it on my computer and I set up a loop so that while I was sleeping, it would just keep playing in the background to remind myself that I just need to keep firing that desire because that was important. And that's what was going to get me out of my little hellhole. My little hellhole, by the way, was nothing like yours. It sounds like you, you had it tougher, but you moved on past it. For me, my little hellhole was just not even being able to relate to people. It was having this stupid runny nose that I'm now still dealing with. Okay. Um, it was, it was all those, it's all the little things that I guess you can't really break out of in high school. Now I could clearly break out of just about anything except for my runny nose. Absolutely. I well, mentioned, mentioned burning desire. I mean, all those guys sound the same from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah. Maybe it's how the recordings were made or something, but they all sound like that. Burning desire, right? But it's funny, there, there's an app now that loops audio. So you can talk to it and it'll loop audio just like you do. And I do the same thing even now. You do I, now. I have a quote or something I read that just really pulls me by the lapel. I'll record it and uh, just loop it over and over and just get that. I've While you're doing what? Well. You're just like when you're going to sleep or as you're walking around, you have it on your earphones? Yeah, as I'm going to sleep, as I'm like driving, because, you know, regardless of how much money you make and how successful you are, you still got those things that mentally holding you back or those things telling you you can't get to the next level or those little things not at you. So, you know, I'll record the opposite and just brainwash myself until I believe it, you know. And uh, so this is a very important mindset and uh, and it's a constant improvement. Like Kaizen, you know, constant improvement. You know, it sounds ridiculous to people who don't, who it's a new concept to, but I've got to tell you that for a long time I had the other kind, the negative loops in my mind, you know, not literally playing on a recorder, but negative. For example, 
it would be running is exhausting. It takes too long to prep to go running was something that just kept playing in, in my head. And it wasn't until I noticed them. I remember I, I was in Argentina living there for a year. I had a lot of time to really evaluate my thoughts and where I was going in my life and what I was what I was thinking intentionally, what I was thinking just because it was in there. I said, wait a minute, it takes no time to run. I don't have to get a bike. I don't have to go to the gym. I just toss my sneakers on, you know, and change into shorts. I don't even have to change my t-shirt and I'm out for a run. Yeah. And I had to just recognize that that negative thing was in my head all the time. And it's, And once I solved it, I started running more. I ran into work today. I did four days of running. I did a uh, recently. I did a marathon. I've done more marathons than I can count, literally. And hopefully uh, this Friday I'll get to do a marathon on my own. And a Saturday a marathon back. I'm gonna run 26 miles to hotel, 26 miles home. Once you get to pick up on this stuff, it changes your life. And that's why you want to learn more. And that's why learning, I think, for business is different from say learning, um, learning. Uh, anything else i'm trying to come up with a good example but it's better than learning say math because right. you can use it you can see results in your own life and you can suddenly start to see that things change you have these superpowers and that's my goal with these interviews and with the courses on mixergy i want to give people that kind of superpower that if they pick up on one little thing from this interview and it could have the kind of impact that you and i have seen in our lives then not only will it change their lives but it'll excite them to get more and more and more Absolutely. And that one little thing is compounded on another little thing. Yes, yes. You're running 26 miles now, you know, and now that's your starting point. And it's just amazing. And that personal growth and that business growth, that's what I seek. And and just happens, it's fun to me too. You know, it's not something I have to do. It's something I love to do. And these books, I can't say I've read all of them, but, you know, people collect DVDs, people collect model airplanes, people collect, I collect books. And then and read a, a certain number of them as well, a good amount as I can. But uh, I totally agree with you. I feel it. I, I haven't gotten to running thing again. <laughs> you got to love it. Running is, is not yeah, for people who don't love it. Um, <laughs> I said that you started the business with 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. Where did the 70 bucks come from and what were you using the 70 bucks for? Well, as I retell the story in my head, the $70 must have come from a church gig. Because, you know, I get $50 here, $25 there. They call it the love offering. Let's let's take up a collection for our musician, our young 15-year-old. So, you know, that's the only way the money would have come from, from a gig or a piano student or something like that. But $70 was a big deal to me. Gave my mom it, and she gave me her debit card number, and I went to Network Solutions. Now it's all about GoDaddy and stuff like that. But it was 70 bucks in uh, August. 2000, I registered that domain name. I asked myself, what is it that I do? And uh, I had enough sense to have a very descriptive domain name. I'm sure I could have come up with some, you know, fanciful name like Kaju or something, but it was just simply here and play. And it was available. And that's been my, my thing ever since. Here and play. That's what we do. I haven't done see and play because I don't believe in see and play. You know, my niche is here and play. And, uh, and it opens itself to extensions, hear and play piano, hear and play guitar, hear and play organ. And we have moved that way. So uh, that was my start. I'm going to ask you in a moment how you got traffic to this website, uh, because I know that you use guerrilla style marketing to do it. But first, what did that website look like? And Jeremy included on archive.org. Anyone who wants to go back in time can see it for themselves. I, I've got the link to it. But for people who don't, can you describe what your first version looked like, how you built it? Right, right. So, you know, I figured out I have to learn HTML. I didn't know anything, but 
You know, I figured out how to do three tables. So it was like this three table site. And it had these black bars all over the place. It probably inspired from somewhere. I mean, really web, probably not even 1.0, 0.9, you know. And everybody knows Microsoft Word art, right? You, you know, back in the day, we used to do flyers and Word art. And it'd be like these rainbow looking things. So I just made one in there and learned how to print my screen. So just printed my screen and use that logo I literally made in, in Microsoft as my website logo. It was purple. And uh, it was a mess. When I look back at, at Wayback and Archive, I mean, I mean, the beauty of it, just having gotten started was very powerful. But yeah, I'm embarrassed by how it looked. It, it, it was nothing pretty. A lot of sites start today, I mean, yards above me, image-wise and design-wise. But it was a start, and that's all that mattered. It got better as I got smarter and more enlightened, and it got better. And uh, the power's in the starting. Why weren't you too embarrassed by that to launch? Why didn't you think, hey, you know what? I got into business to be a businessman like like my heroes. I don't know who they were for you. Maybe Rupert Murdoch or Donald Trump or whoever happened to have been the big guy, big shot when we were kids. They wouldn't have had something that didn't look beautiful. Why didn't you compare yourself to this dream that got you into business in the first place and say, I'm not there yet. I'll wait till I can improve the design first. I'll wait till I can improve the architecture of the site, et cetera. Well, um, to be honest, for me, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, <laughs> I can't tell you. It probably looked good to me. I, don't, I, I remember I showing people, so I wasn't that embarrassed then. It's only looking back. So when I was in it, I think I was just happy to have accomplished something on my own, having started from nothing and learned how to do this thing. I can't really sit back and tell you I thought it was ugly when I was there. You know, 10 years from now, things I'm doing today, I'm probably going to be embarrassed over, you know. So it's all about growth. But uh, for me, it, it was just getting started. I'll tell you one thing, the long sales page, I knew that was ugly, you know. And I gave, you know, because Corey Ruler said you need to sell your benefits, your advantages, and your features, and act like you're writing to a friend. And if it's 20 pages, so be it. Now, that was something I knew, okay, how's that going to fly? And I showed my roommates, and I'm like, dude, nobody's ever going to read that. Nobody's ever going to buy your stuff. you know. And so I, I did juxtapose that against the pretty websites. Uh, but it, it, it was just a, a willingness to trust a person that had gone before me and not try to reinvent the wheel. Plus, to be honest with you, Andrew, when I was a kid, I got on somebody's list, so I was used to getting those long letters in the mail. So I knew they had, I mean, I would read them as a kid. Those you mean those, the, the paper letters that came in the mail? The paper, yes. Oh, mail. yeah. I don't know how I got on the list, but in all that I answered, I'm sure I got on many. So, yeah, I was familiar with reading these, these long, you know, form advertising. But applying it to my innocent piano by ear niche and making it work for me, I was doubtful, but I was willing to try. And uh, I think that's it. A lot of people want to get things perfect. They want to get things right. And I'm guilty of this. Uh, I wanted to write a book a long time ago about my experience. And I wrote like the first three pages and then said, you know, I'm just so busy. I want to make sure it's right. I want to make sure I put the right structures in place and I get all zen and, and you know, and peaceful. And someone reminded me that it's never going to be the right time. It's never going to be Everything's never going to be perfect, so you just got to do it, get started. Done is better than perfect. I realize that's only one part of the philosophy. Other people think otherwise. But for me, done was better than perfect, and we can course correct. You know, the rocket is shot out, but it course corrects to its target as it flies. So, 
You know, I'm that rocket and I'm still course correcting. How long was your first sales letter? It printed out, I think it was like 22 pages long. <laughs> you know, so you went longer than a dozen. It was long. Oh, it, it was long. You know, it had pictures and stuff, but it was like, dear musician, if you're like most people, I remember the first line, if you're like most people, you're probably struggling to play the piano. You know, you, you might be at the point where you want to give up and you, you feel like other people have the gift and you don't. You know, I just took the formula and I talked to a real person that really wants to play music. They love music with all their heart but can't seem to figure it out. I talked to him from my heart and it worked. One day particularly changed my life after I, I changed over my website, one day. After you changed over, what was the day? March 2nd, 2002. What happened? You know, it started to get blurry. I don't, March 1st or March 2nd, but I think it was March 2nd, 2002. I'm getting old, you guys. But March 2nd, I, I released my website. Now this was coming from before it was like a book of the uh, a photo of the, the books on my brown ugly carpet, right? Thank you. Oh, the website had a photo of your book on your brown carpet saying, "This is what you get if you give me money after reading my long ass uh, web page." Yes, okay. No, before that, it wasn't long. Before that, it was just like you know the books and four sentences. Oh, you, know, you to play A to Z, you know, three hundred pages or whatever, because that's what I thought. You know, I was uh, catalog model just. Small little description in the book. So wait, and, I'm sorry. Just to be clear, the first version of your sales page had just a picture of your book, the one that people were going to get if they paid you, on your brown carpet with a couple of lines and a button that let people buy. That's the first version. Then you changed to what? This 20-page radically different. You know, People talk about testing stuff. This, this was like the total opposite of what I had. And, you know, like, man, it was. Is this gonna work? It was. It wasn't like just changing a headline from red to blue or left aligning versus center. You know, I believe forests, trees, branches, leaves in your text. You could test big stuff. You could test minuscule stuff. You know, branches and leaves. But this was a forest move for me. This was huge. And so we FTP'd it over. I say we. I. I FTP'd it over. I was using AOL at the at the time as well. And I remember sending out the email. Um, you're gonna ask me about traffic, but I built up a list of about 700. Guerrilla style marketing, you know, okay, just going right. on message forms and stuff like we'll that. We'll come back to that in a moment. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, but started a Yahoo group that had 700 members. And as the moderator, I had privileges to send an email. Sent an email saying, we've updated the site, uh, discovered the secrets to playing piano by ear, you know, headline. And I woke up the next day with a box full of sales. That day, we would do $1,100 in sales. On that day, I skipped every class I had that day. At psychology, I called my, my girlfriend Sarah at the time, who's my wife now, and I said, "Baby, we gotta go do these books because you know, you know, eleven hundred dollars are coming, which is about thirteen or so sales." Um, and every time they all say, "You got mail," I mean, I was hearing, "You got money, you got money, you got money." New order confirmation, new order confirmation, new order, and it was just even now we we make money and we have launches and and those days come in. But they don't hit me as much. You kind of get used to it, and I mean, even a nice six-figure day, you know, you you're happy and you're like, right, you know, you you you. But that day, having gone from like hardly anything in the bank to now eleven hundred dollars on its way to me, that was just amazing. I remember heart palpitations. I was so excited, you know. I remember telling my roommates, and they're like, dude. You made eleven hundred dollars. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I didn't have any sense back then. Just telling the whole world." 
<laughs> I would soon become like a loan officer. Hey, you know, I quickly learn how to not do that anymore. But that, that was the day. And that was just one change I was willing to make that went against the grain a little bit. And ever since then, I haven't been scared to go against the grain. How did you get people in the early days? How did you get customers? Okay, well, I figured there's a ratio between time and money or this pendulum. I didn't have money. <laughs> so obviously it was time. So I become a moderator, I remember, of every piano music form I could find. And I would go to work with the time that I had, answering questions and using my signature um, to promote my site. You know, if you want free lessons, head over to hearandplay.com. But I make sure I, I really answer their questions. If, if I knew it, it was in my knowledge base to answer, I'd go for it. And I remember just having a bookmark folder um, of every site. And every week, like every Saturday morning, I would just call it doing my dues. Every Saturday morning, I would go one by one and try to post at least five times in those message boards. Some of them just had straight out places that you could advertise. Other ones I would just, you know, be that person in the form helping out, you know, giving and hoping that it would come back to me. And soon, you know, thousand visitors a month, you know. We did the Yahoo directories. I'm still paying for that. I don't even know if that still works. I'm still paying for that same listing. I think they get me for 70 bucks a month. I mean, I'm worth, I mean, that's 10 years of that, you know, from day one. And every time my card expires, I go in and I think it's just a uh, ritual for me now, you know. And um, we were in DMOZ. I remember uh, about.com soon would, would hit the scene and participating there. Um, Free-for-all link pages, uh, adding my, my website to every uh, search engine, uh, every directory, you know, just guerrilla style, just Everywhere I could find to put my website, I just put it out there and, and built a list, you know, built a Yahoo group as well. And, you know, got some natural visitors from Yahoo group and, and, and sent my own visitors. And that would be the beginning of, of my little 700 uh, member list that would fuel this growth to give me the money to do the real stuff later. Back then, if you were on AOL, you can, you can see people's screen names and know that if you attach an at AOL.com to their screen names that you'd have their email address. Right. So would you go into chat rooms with musicians and do that so that you can build up the first portion of your list? No, I wasn't that smart. And I mean, I was like quasi-spam, but I didn't even know that. But no, I, I, they legitimately come to me, but I, I just go to all the news groups and post and, and just make sure everywhere I posted – I advertise here and play.com. I mean, those are the days of email forms. And, you know, when you say something, it goes out to everybody, news groups, bulletin boards. Um, uh, I see. So if you participate in those news groups, in those um, listservs, the email went out to everybody. Yeah, right. And so yeah. your SIG line went to everybody. Absolutely. And you and got them that, to come back to your site and give you their email address. Eventually, yep. They come to my site and... It took me two years to get 700 people. And for many people listening, 700 people, you know, doesn't sound like a lot. But when I think about it, it was that same 700 people that gave me that $1,100 in that one day. And I, I'm not saying it was $1,100 a day. It would taper down to $200 the next day, $300 the next day, $100 off that same 700 people. So my conversions, I, I haven't done the math or, or you know, or didn't know to do the math back then, but my conversions had to be insane for a 700-person list 
to give me $8,000 that first real month after changing the website. I mean, my, my visitor values, talk about values and stuff, I mean, were, were, were pretty high back then. Um, I wish I had that kind of value now. I'd be a very, very rich man <laughs> if so, I was able to do what but I But that's did. all you had. You only had 700 people after that. Now it suddenly seems small to me. After two years? After, well, yeah, we struggled for a long time. I mean, you know, from the, the 2000, August 6, 2000 to March 2nd, 2002, that, that, that span of me just swimming around and, you know, doing what I thought worked and, you know, and, and those were the beginning days. Then I bought Corey's stuff and that's when we really started converting these folks. And then soon after that, we joined GoTo.com, remember, turned into Overclick, which turned into Yahoo. Overture, yeah. Overture, yeah. Yahoo Search Marketing and now Ad Center. So, I mean, those are the glory days where like five cents and no competition. So, you know, that $8,000 I made, I soon fuel it into pay-per-click. And that sent me tens of thousands of, of visitors for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And so now we were really cranking. That 8000 soon turned into 15000 you know. Um, then we'd uh, form an affiliate program. So at this stage, it was like everything I learned was golden because I was that kid um, not scared to put it to action. Didn't, did first, thought about it later. Corey or whatever I read said, you need to have an affiliate program, uh, a two-tier program at that, like Amazon. We started that, and that began to fuel more visitors. And we only paid when we made sales. So that was just like, you know, that was very cool to us at that time. Pay-per-click, and then we started learning SEO, you know, figured out how to, you know, get our pages to the top. And then I remember hiring a service, Easy Rankings back then, you know, uh, because now I shipped it from the time to the money. You know, the time got me here, you know, the gorilla stuff. But now that I had a little bit of money coming in, I just fueled that back into, um, into very non-sexy, just regular styles of advertising. Um, but for me, it was about the conversion. The conversion did it all. What did you do to increase conversion? Well, from my conversions, I was always testing different headlines from the beginning. I mean, A-B split testing was, was uh, before Google Analytics. I mean, this was the days of, uh, what did we use? It was a service out there. I don't know if it was adtracker.com. It uh, escapes me right now. But, I mean, old school service that you install on your server, and it just cycles your pages and, and tells you how many visitors and how many sales. Or how many times the cookie's been hit. So we did a lot of that. Um, What's it, one thing that, I'm sorry, go ahead. What else did you do? No, no, it was just a lot of testing and tweaking and benefits and, and swapping out bullet points. And, and, you know, now it's all about video. So we do the same thing, quite frankly, in video. But back then it was this long sales page and tweaking and, and uh, incremental growth. And now video is what sells. Yeah, video. I mean, people still do sales pages. It's my church rag here when I get so hot. <laughs> what is a church rag? You and I, I, you were using it a lot before we started and then you stopped. What's a church rag? Well, my, this, I've become known for this when I speak on stages. I, every event, I bring this up with me because I'm a sweater. I, I'm very dynamic. And people laugh. And in the beginning, I say, hey, this is my church rag. I might get excited. I might throw it at you, you know. And <laughs> really make people come. Because they know that we're going to have a good time. And they're not going to have a good time. I'm going to have a good time. So now <laughs> I'm stuck with it. You know, I just pat my – it's what the preachers 
growing up in the churches I played. Because they would get so hopped up on their message and talking so fast and getting so passionate that they would have to keep mopping their, yeah. their forehead and whole body. Jesus, you know. And uh, so, yeah, this is my church rag. And there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history in that rag. Uh, but yeah, those were those were the days, you know. And um, one, one part of it was traffic. But I think that my conversion, I, I don't even think it was anything magical other than following the, the formula that was laid out to me and applying it to a niche that hadn't seen that kind of stuff. So you can almost, you can bring something commonplace to a new place and be innovative, you know? Innovation is not just coming up with something new out of the sky. Sometimes it's just taking something from one industry or place to another place. And, um, and, and I think that's part of it as well. You know, bringing that to piano players. Twenty, you have to read twenty page sales letters to buy my stuff. And uh, and once I knew it worked, and people would tell me, you know, you should get rid of that long stuff. You're you're missing out on a lot. I said, baby, you have no idea because I've been I've been there. And uh, if you saw what my bank account looked like, you wouldn't you wouldn't be advising me of what works and what doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know it works and. Um, and those were the days, you know, those were the days where 200 grand in that, uh, I remember 2002, we'd go on to almost hit 200 grand that year, like starting in March, right? 8,000 here, 15,000 here, 18,000 here. Then I get smart and come out with my second product. Now we built a list of 5,000 people and they're waiting for my next product. So that, I remember just these different, you know, for me, I don't know how the people that get venture capital money do it. I have no experience in that realm. But for me, there was clear barriers that we just popped through. I, I remember hanging out in the $10,000 range, and that's just what I was used to. Never hit a two. You know, it was always the dollar sign and a one. And then I remember coming out with another product, and that put us in the twos. And we never went back down to the ones. You know, it was the second product and you, you, that compound effect. And then I remember hitting the threes, the 30,000s, and never going back. You know, sometimes we go to 29,000. So it was just clear, like, I measured it by these, these five-figure leaps, you know. And, and then it was, it, was, it was six, you know, what do you call it? Not decimals, but it's six. Six feet, figures, yeah. You know? And uh, those are, the, it was just organic growth. And the weird thing is, now that I study business models and stuff like that, I didn't know any other way. This what other way do you grow a business? You know, I didn't understand that back then. Um, and yes, we grew on our own pace. You, know, you wouldn't call us the fastest growing by no means, but uh, you'd call me happy. You'd call me free. And you'd call me doing business on my own time. <laughs> That's what you would call me. I remember when I broke through a million in the bank, I called up Citibank's automated system. We were with Citibank at the time. Just to hear the automated system say it, then I'd hang up and call again and again and again. Did you do anything like that? Absolutely. There, there was not a day I wouldn't get out the bed and call 1-800-644-2767. But that's Bank of America line. I'm close. I don't do it anymore because you can just do it on your um, iPhone. And I don't even just do it because I'm not as excited anymore. But back then, every day, because it was a cash flow driven business and I don't even think I need an account. And I paid the guy, but I knew what my profit was. What I had in the bank, by, I mean, what I made, what I spent was kind of like what I had in the bank, you know, plus, you know, a few expenditures and doodads. But it was very simple math. And there was no way to mess it up. For me, this was Bradford and Reed days. And after we hit that, it took me a long freaking time, it felt like, to hit that mark. And then after we did, at some point, we also, we took a rough fall. 
not yeah. terrible. God knows we did we did okay, but there was a period there where suddenly all my advertisers, this was all an ad-based business, were going out of business. And suddenly my revenues were drying up and my expenses were still fixed. And oh, did you have a did you have a big uh fall like that at all, even if you got back up? Or was it just all once you hit it, up, 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 up? Oh, no, I, I'd be lying if I said it was always up, up, up. I mean, we definitely went through cycles. You know, my glory days, I call them, from about 2002 to 2006, seven was up, up, up. Like, we'd like double year over year. And then around 2008, I guess, and this was a shared sentiment. I mean, we all kind of went through something like when that bubble burst and people were like, dude, I can't spend this kind of money I'm spending or, or you know, you imagine if you got a mortgage to pay or buy piano lessons, you know, I, I think I'm a little lower on that list. Right. And I started to see, I started to see uh, sales really dry up. And I remember November was my worst sales ever. I think it was November 2008. And prior to that, now, I also believe that difficulties in times like this, you know, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Well, up until this point, I heard Dan Kennedy and all these guys talk about the need for continuity income, recurring income. But yep, I was yep. such a hot shot. You know, these, I was making millions of dollars on one-time sales, $50 at a time, $60 course, $50 course, $40 course. Up until that point, you know, knock, knock, you know, worst month ever, well, in our seven-figure history. And, uh, and you better believe, guess how long it took for me to start the, the training center? One month from that point. One month. How do you launch a training center for in one month? And I'm just going to go off camera to fix something here. But tell yeah. me, how how do you get that going in one month, a continuity service? Well, it's called seeing the light. And it's called seeing if we have a few more bad months like this, taking away cash flow and reserves, we're going to, you know, it won't be pretty. And uh, we had seen, you know, nothing but growth from there. So it was born out of necessity. Um, the, and the great thing is I had assets. All of us, we all have, you know, most of us have assets that are untapped. So my assets was mm -hmm. a group of customers, you know, into the hundreds of thousands or subscribers at least that like me, trust me, that have looked to me to learn gospel and Christian and jazz music. And for whatever reason, wasn't come, coming back to buy my DVDs, but I still have that trust there. And so I remember that as soon as I saw the balance sheet or whatever for that month, I said, we, we got to start this recurring thing. And the, the month after that, I got on the phone with my designer. I said, I need a hub uh, to be able to place these, these videos weekly in. And I want some social interaction. And he got to work, you know, and bid it. And, and we got that together. And on the other end, I started an official launch. And uh, my first video was, it didn't take long because all I did was I said, uh, it's been a while since you guys have seen a product of mine. I, I think I, I last released my, uh, my latest product three years ago. Well, I got something big brewing. Um, you're going to be able to see us regularly, and it's going to be one of the biggest things we've ever done. And I just got the buzz going. Even before the center was ready, even before we had the concept together, I got the buzz going. And I said, in, in about a month's time, you know, you'll see what we've been working on. And people are dying to know. And that was uh, the change of a big shift um, in our strategy, going monthly. And now you can't sell me against it. That that model is flipped. Now it's all the monthly stuff that's our, our main thing. And the product sales are like our icing on the cake. And so 
you built the software yourself. Are you able to code up a recurring revenue site, the software for it in a month, or did you use off-the-shelf uh, software for it? No, no, my e-commerce and stuff is certainly off the shelf. I've never taken on that. And you don't I, build anything. You just use, what software do you use for it? Well, back then, it was a, a site called OneShoppingCart.com, which handled you know, my recurring billing, my ad trackers, my customer-client relationship. Now I use Infusionsoft, uh, which I'm their marketer of the year. I mean, I joined that site and, and figured that thing out so fast. What does it take to be their marketer of the year? Um, I mean, is just, it because they take a share of your revenue, so they know that you that you've marketed more than anyone else? They don't even know. They don't do it by revenue. I think they're just looking for people that are really harnessing the power of their platform. Infusionsoft is a, a big machine, and there's so much to it. Um, and most people probably don't use ten percent of its power. And here I am, having implemented it in uh, 2009. And using 80, 90 percent of its functionality, like there isn't a part of that system that I'm not using from sending out birthday cards or sending out Starbucks cards to my customers. I mean, we're doing all sorts of relationship building things that come easy with a, an automation platform like Infusionsoft. So as far as just really using it and, and coming up with innovative ways to use it, that, that's what it took. And it, it, it uh, didn't hurt that I did double my net profit my first year with them so you know it, um, it it's been a wonderful ride there but i soon moved to them to manage my automation so when your card declines you know it's automatically hitting you it's it's emailing you you can log in and update your card all that's handled through them i don't have to touch that um if the credit card link point uh, what do you call it, gateway is acting up they're handling all that stuff i've never been an advocate of, of taking on too much if you don't have to I mean, if it's a, something core in your business, you have to do that. An off-the-shelf platform can't, can't handle, and it's core to what you do, fine. But if you're selling stuff like me, and you know, I think we complicate stuff too much. People come to you with an idea, they say, it's proprietary, and it's this and that. I said, child, I did your thing in 2002. Just get started. Put up a PayPal link and see if you're going to make money. What, what are you complicating I for? say that, too. I got a phone call just the other day from someone who's uh... – uh, I guess not a member, but somehow got a, got my phone number. And she told me about the software she's building and how she has a developer actually build it for her. And basically she needs a WordPress website, which she has, and she needs uh, some kind of membership thing. And PayPal will do that for you when you're getting started. But for some reason, people don't want that. They want something more sophisticated. She wasn't happy with WordPress's page layout. She needed the two-column uh, design for, for PayPal so that she can have – I mean, excuse me, for – for WordPress page so that she could have her list be not in one long line, but on two nice table. Why do you think people, why do you think people reject your worldview and my worldview, which is just freaking launch it and you can improve it later if it works or kill it if it doesn't. You know, that's, that's a question I oftentimes ask myself. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we're just conditioned young and we got to go through what 12 years of school and four years of, college and then four six more years to be i mean life tells us that life i mean just what we've been through tells us that life is complicated and you you got to do all these steps and you you got to go through this process and that process and um i don't know i'm contrarian to the point that i find the quickest way there the shortest path there and if it proves to be viable then we can back up and change it later i'll tell you a quick story andrew my first uh course was shot with his, my barbershop's brother, I mean, my barber's brother, 
in the hood. He's like, yeah, man, my brother can help you shoot this. He, he had some nice Sony cameras. We, we didn't even have a tripod. We didn't have two cameras. So every time I talked, he'd come up and shoot my face. And then every time I, I'd uh, play the piano, he'd come down and shoot the piano. I mean, you could get sick watching my course. You can learn, but you, you, you might be a little dizzy. But you know what? Customers later would tell me that was the most revolutionary program, the system that I taught them, you know, um, regardless of, of the quality or, or, or how it was, it, it, it was what I was getting across. And later I would go and redo that in HD or whatever I had to do. You know, once it had sold half a million dollars, you know, it's very easy to redo. So I'm a proponent of, of getting started and done is better than perfect. You know, I know there's opposing views on that. Uh, but you try to sit around making it perfect and it'll never happen or you'll miss the opportunity altogether, the wave. You know, there's probably many of Facebooks that sat around trying to make it perfect in 2002. <laughs> I was a part of many of them. And <laughs> I had memberships on them too. I'm thinking, by the way, my head's down, not because I'm not paying attention. It's down because yeah. I had to take a note on that. That's such a perfect example. You and your barber's brother with that camera moving around from your head to the keys to the to the head. Uh, perfect. Um, what else? There's what so, cameras we have overhead. How do you, how do you justify creating a, a recurring membership program where people have to pay month after month after month after month to learn how to play when you've already created a, a program before that teaches them how to play? Why do they have to keep paying month after month for that? Great question. Great question. Um, well, first of all, I, I like to pick a market that has these four P's. Passion. I believe the market has to be passionate about what they're doing. Not just a quick fix and you never have to see your customer again. Um, uh, positivity. You know, I know you can make money in pain, but I prefer positivity. Progression. You know, golf. You know that you can work on your swing, but you'll always be working on your swing. It's not something that you ever get to a destination or a plateau. Somebody's always better. And patience. Those are my four Ps. So inside of this market, if you think about learning music, you know, even if you're the great, they had insecurities, the greats that we hear. They didn't think they were so great. They kept practicing. They kept going. So I never sold it as a, this is the end-all, be-all. This will get, this 101 course will get you started in, in Christian music or jazz music. This will cover worship or slower music. So I always took compartments of the big goal. And I always, I don't know how I learned this, but I always broke it up. So whereas somebody had an all comprehensive course and promised the world, I never had that. I used the college model of 101, 201, 301, and I always made myself like that. So even when it came time to sell, you know, an ongoing training program, I exactly, I sold it like this. I said, and you probably bought our past courses, like 101, and you're doing great with your hymns. You might have bought Jazz 101, and you're doing great with your blues. Well, now is the time to saddle down and get ongoing and commit ongoing to this process because, you know, playing by music is, is not a destination. It's a journey, and we're always learning. And the minute we stop learning is the minute that we fail or, or, or somebody passes us up. So I sold it as ongoing training and, and the benefit and the need. Um, and people know that. When you hire a piano teacher, I don't think you hire a piano teacher for two weeks and expect to be playing Beethoven. People are grade one, grade two, grade seven, grade 12, you know? So there's progression already built into the market. So it's not hard to offer something when people already understand that progression and patience is, is a pretty real thing to it. So, you know. 
you know, I was starting to worry here. I wrote a note to myself saying, Andrew, do you have a lack of skepticism in this interview? Like, because I was getting carried away. I was telling you I loved you all of a sudden. We were ready to propose to you. If uh, if we both weren't married, maybe I would have. So I said, let's just Google. Let's just Google one more time. Now, I've had you research before we did this. You talked to Jeremy, our producers, and you were recommended by by someone from the audience, unfortunately, via Twitter. So I couldn't, I can't go back and find that. But I've been Googling just now, and it's all there. It's you're there. You've got you got the the reputation. Um. Anyway, all I'm saying is to the audience: if you're worried that I got carried away, I was worried just like you were, and I've been looking one more time just to confirm that I that I didn't get too carried away. Let me say this before I ask you one final question. Sure. Uh, and I want to say this to the audience, including you, that if you're as passionate as I am about learning and seeing these results in your business. And if you're passionate about business, not just hanging out and watching TV, or if you're not just listening to this because I, I don't know, someone accidentally put it on your iPod or you accidentally clicked around on iTunes. But if you're really into this and you want to take it to the next level, I want to recommend mixergypremium.com. That's where I bring in real entrepreneurs to teach you how they built their businesses. And based on this course, I'm going to based on this interview, I'm going to suggest if you're already a, a premium member that you check out these three courses. We talked about um, creating an information product. We've got who do we have? Greg Roulette, who created the How to Create Your Profitable Information Product on MixergyPremium.com. Take that, and you're going to find out how to do it. He does this for for dozens, actually maybe even hundreds of clients, and he walked us through the process. If you want to do it yourself, create an information product on maybe not playing piano that's been cornered, but Anything else that you're passionate about, you're going to learn how to discover that passion, how to package it, and how to create your product. If you want to learn how to do a profitable launch, we talked a couple of times about doing that. Check out Sean Malarkey's launch course. He uh, is the guy from Inspired Media. He's going to walk you through how to get that hype going before you launch and how to make sure you get sales when you do. And finally, there's one other person who, whose products I love, and he came here to do a course, Clay Collins. He did a session on pre-selling, how to sell even before you launch. It's all about how to create a sales process and how to think about your, um, how to think your, about your business in a methodical way that will get your results. Lots of people have taken these courses, and actually, um, Clay told me that because of the course that he offered on Mixergy, people have gone to his site and signed up for his stuff. So I'm grateful to you guys for doing that, but. I'm glad too that you're trusting the results and you're seeing the results for yourself. And instead of saying, Andrew, I want my money back, you're saying, hey, who is this Clay Collins? I want to learn more from him. And you go out and do that. So it's all on mixergypremium.com. If you're already a member, I don't want your money. You just need to go in and take these sessions. And if you're not, I hope you join us and uh, become a member. Mixergypremium.com. Thousands of people are, have joined, and I hope you'll join us too. So, you are man, just what do you think? You're I should have made that 15 that pages. Great. <laughs> that, that was great. Did you memorize that? Is that, is that just you, or I was just uh, I I was just riffing as I went through this. That's good. And to be honest, I was second guessing the way that I said it because I realized I got Jermaine here. Jermaine's probably looking for social proof. Did I have the social proof ready? No, I didn't pull up the social proof. Uh, Jermaine's probably aware of uh, what was it? Anchoring? Did I price anchor? No, I should have. Here, let me try this. Guys, look. If you get one good idea from this. I guarantee it's going to be worth at least $1,000 for your business. Just one good idea, and these courses are packed with dozens of ideas, each of them. And if you don't get one, come back to me, and I'll give you your money back. But if you don't get $1,000 worth of value out of this, then I will give you your money back. How's that? That's not the best way to anchor. It's not so easy when you're just kind of riffing, is it? No, that's good. You got it in your blood. That's Joe Sugarman. You have many of his triggers there. That's, <laughs> that's a good book for people wanting to understand the, the – 
ins and outs of, of selling Joe psychology. Joe Joe Sugarman's triggers, Robert Cialdini's uh, influence. Yep. You know, and um, and there's many more, but uh, those those are really good books. In addition to them, I'm also going to recommend my friend uh, Dane Maxwell, who taught how to do copywriting. Also available on Mixergy. Um, and I keep using Dane Max. Once people take Dane Maxwell's course on Mixergy, they start to see that I use so many of his tactics in the way that I present stuff on the site that it's almost like, um, like they they read into me and they're they could figure me out. Um, anyway, back back to you. This isn't about me, Jermaine. I had to get a plug in there for for Mixergy because I'm really excited about the results that people are getting from it. And I'm finally. I used to not even talk about it because I was unsure about it. But once I started getting results, I talked a little bit more, and then more people signed up, and I got excited, and then I started talking more. Now I'm all hopped up. I could pretty much do a whole two hours on why people should join, but that's not what this this interview is about. This interview is about Jermaine Griggs. You've done it, and there was something, Jermaine, that you wanted, and that you were able to get. Can you tell the audience about that? You told Jeremy about this, if you remember. Yeah, I remember, you know, tangible, I guess. Um, having started where I started, obviously, uh, you know, there were there were material things that um, we couldn't get as kids or were exposed to. So I remember uh, watching a movie with Samuel Jackson trading lanes or something like that, uh, Road Rage. And I forgot who had, I think the lawyer, he had like this Mercedes CLK and I just loved the way it looked and two doors and it was, it was even the old school one for that time. Now they're all different, but I remember saying, you know, I'm going to get that car. That That's going to be the car I'm going to get. And uh, I remember at the end of 2003, um, that, that came true. I got that car. And then I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and said, oh man, I did it in the wrong order and I did the do that first. And then... I invested in my first home uh, in the beginning of 2004, so I guess I was 21 then, uh, here in Orange County, uh, closer to where I went to school, and um, and those were the days when I actually saw the fruits of my labor finally, uh, you know, coming to fruition and um, great times. And fast forward now, and we're just living our dreams, and we're very grateful. Um, and uh, it's been a long journey, not where we want to be, but far, far, far from where we used to be. Well, I'm glad you took a moment out to do this interview with me to set up Skype and to be patient as we set up all the technology here to make sure it works and to spend an hour with, with Jeremy and to trust us to look into your background with Ari and Andrea who researched you. All this goes into these interviews and and it takes a lot of your time and I know you're busy and I appreciate that you're willing to, to do that. Thanks for doing this interview. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, if you want me back for automation and stuff, I know we didn't talk about You would come back and do a session on automation? I would because it, it gets deep. I, I don't want you guys to think I'm just this airy fairy tale story, you know. <laughs> uh, no, we, we get deep. And uh, in, in automation and follow-up marketing now to take it to the level we've been, you know, and to automate it and have under three employees, there's definitely a science to that. And I would love to... Uh, you know, All right. Get, tell you what, hang on with me after I say goodbye to the audience, and then I want to talk. I want to talk to you and see how we can bring you back up and help you teach this to the audience. That's an area that I saw in my research that we spent a little bit of time on, but not enough. So, guys, I'm going to say this: go check out hereandplay.com. You're not going to really. It, it's not. It, you're not even going to be a blip on his sales numbers. So it's not about Jermaine getting any results from this. It's about you seeing all the things we talked about in action. And if you get a chance, maybe even go back to the archive.org archive and look at the website and see how it evolved. And if you're into music, of course, sign up. And if uh, but more than anything else, I hope people do what I just did a moment ago and will do again. 
find a way to say thank you to Jermaine. If you get anything out of any of these interviews, the best thing you can do is to just reach out to the entrepreneur and say, hey, you know what? I learned a lot from you. And one day I hope to make you as proud as um, Napoleon Hill might have been, Jermaine, of you if you'd gone back and told him about it if he was alive. Basically, just say thank you. And I'm going to say it right now, Jermaine, you can see the excitement in my voice as I did this interview with you. I appreciate you telling your story and thank you for being a part of it. Thank you.